Chapter 3. Now we're rockin'. As I pop Van Halen 1 into the stereo, I skip ahead to track 2, Eruption, which was my first real entrance into rock and roll and heavy metal music. From the get-go, the entire album grips me by the seat of my pants and takes me on a hard rock journey of crashing drums, screaming guitars, and soaring vocals from frontman David Lee Roth. The song Eruption is a blistering one-and-a-half-minute guitar solo that sees lead guitarist Eddie Van Halen shred his way into classic rock history. The song then fades away into another classic rock staple, which is a cover of the British rock group The Kinks' You Really Got Me. It had been quite a few years since I had sat down and listened to the album, but listening to it today, it is still an equally fun ride, especially as I recall what an impact this one album triggered in my life. Almost every weekend growing up, while the rest of my family slept, my dad and I would head out to scour various yard sales or flea markets in search of good deals and knickknacks. On one such occasion, we came across a flea market vendor who was selling his entire CD collection. When we asked him why he was selling all of his CDs, he mentioned that he had just converted all his CDs to digital files and that they were just taking up space. As a result, he was selling the CDs for a relatively cheap price for either $1 or $2 each. My dad, upon hearing the price, immediately set to rifling through the albums to see if there was any ones he liked. I followed suit shortly thereafter as the album art and band names on some of the CDs began beckoning my attention. Perusing through scores of records, I saw the likes of Van Halen, Whitesnake, Billy Squire, Queen, Guns N' Roses, Journey, Sixth, and another band name that quite intrigued me, Rush. For years, my dad had been trying to get me into his music. He grew up in the 70s and 80s and loved the sounds of the classic rock era. On car rides together, he would throw on some of his favorite bands like ACDC, Pink Florida Led Zeppelin, and play some songs for me. I could never get into them. For some reason, I just cannot connect with the music or the lyrics. And thinking about it now, I was at an age where I only wanted to listen to music that I discovered on my own, and rock music was something that I had to find for myself. Between my dad and I, we had picked out over 20 different albums, and were eager to give them a listen. After the flea market, we went to grab some food at a nearby fast food restaurant, and in the drive through line, we decided to play our first CD for that purchase, Van Halen 1. I think if it would have been any other album, Rock and roll may not have had the impact it did on me. My dad played the album at max volume, and it completely blew me away. From those opening notes, I was hooked on rock music. Fortunately for me, at the same time, my school was just about to let out for summer vacation, giving me the entire summer leading into my 11th grade year to do what I do best, dive deep into something and learn everything I can. That summer, I listened to everything I could get my hands on and took my dad's initial CD collection of about 20 albums and added about 80 different records over the course of the summer to help round out the collection. The first album that I purchased specifically for the purpose of growing a CD collection was Kiss Destroyer. I enjoy the album to this day, not necessarily musically or lyrically, but because of the energy of the record. They were a rock band that wanted to play loud music and have a good time, and made no apologies for it. Later that summer, I had the opportunity to watch a movie entitled Fanboys, about some friends who try to see a copy of the film Star Wars The Phantom Menace before it comes out in 1999. One of the principal characters has a love of the band called Rush, and throughout the movie the Rush songs are filtered into the film's soundtrack, and they really caught my ear. At the time, the name had sounded familiar to me, and sure enough, I had two albums by them from the recent flea market purchase, Moving Pictures and Retrospective One. 
After seeing the movie, I soon after pulled out the albums and gave them a listen. Upon listening to Rush, I immediately became enamored by their sound, lyrics, and progressive metal music style. I listened to songs like Tom Sawyer, Limelight, Fly By Night, and Xanadu on repeat. I have always considered Rush, from that moment on, to be my favorite band. Their music steers clear of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll scene that many bands of the 70s and 80s made so popular, and focuses more on fantasy or real-world events, which I found enthralling. During the summer, I had ample opportunity to explore every aspect of rock and roll music. I binge-watched that metal show on TV, purchased more and more music, and explored the origins of rock and roll through books and internet research. I can still remember gawking for hours over a rock and roll history chart I had downloaded from the internet that traced rock and roll from its early roots of jazz and blues onto the early pioneers like Elvis Presley, Little Richard, and the Beatles. From there, the chart splintered into several categories as hard rock and heavy metal music emerged and thusly branched off into a myriad of different categories such as early, new wave, progressive, punk, shock, thrash, or power metal. For the next hour or so, I pop in one album after another, listening to a few of my favorite tracks from the rock records that I had grown up with. Bands like 38 Special, Kansas, Def Leppard, Journey, Jethro Tull, King Crimson, Uriah Heep, Styx, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Whitesnake, Quiet Riot, Queen, ACDC, Aerosmith, Survivor, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, and Foreigner were all in steady rotation at that time in my life. As a result of the music I was listening to, I began to develop my first taste of the vintage era of the 60s, 70s, and 80s and started, much like with Star Wars previously, adapting rock and roll into my daily life beyond just enjoying the art form itself. Going into my 11th grade year of high school, I would wear whitewashed jeans to school, plaid button-up shirts or 80s graphic tees, and Converse All-Star shoes almost every day. In my mind, my new identity was no longer that of a Star Wars nerd, but as an 80s rocker dude. I did not think anyone really noticed, but internally I felt like I was back in that era, that I was born a generation too late. I make my second pit stop at a rest area in Clinton, Alabama. After a quick get-in, get-out stop to the bathroom, I hop back in my rig and sit for a few moments. Gazing at the illuminated entranceway to the bathroom building, I ruminate on all the time I spent in those years listening to or learning about rock music. With a slight growl of my stomach, I am drawn back into reality. I reach over to the floorboard of my passenger seat and pull out my lunchbox. Late last night, my wife had packed for me two sandwiches, laden with fresh vegetables and baked chicken, one for breakfast and one for lunch, as well as a full dinner for the night, consisting of roasted chicken, baked potatoes, and sautéed zucchini. Over the years, I have found that my body performs best on simple whole foods rather than pasta overloads or processed junk food. I unwrap the first sandwich and slowly roll back onto the interstate. Munging away, my mind once again pivots back into my past. This time, though, I began to think about food and my own relationship with it. It was not until my wife and I began dating that I began to take my nutrition more seriously. Growing up, my family kept our walk-in pantry stocked with all manner of snack foods imaginable, from Little Debbie's Galore, Hostess Cakes, Pop-Tarts, Doritos, Lay's Chips, Fruit Roll-Ups, Potted Meat, Beanie Weenies, Vienna Sausages, Cheese and Crackers, Snickers, Reese's, Chips Ahoy, Oreos, Kraft Mac and Cheese, Coca-Cola, Fruit Loops, or Ramen Noodles. Suffice it to say, had my mom not cooked a full meal every night, typically consisting of a protein, starch, and a vegetable, I would have been raised entirely on what the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey would call the Standard American Diet, or SAD Diet. 
meaning to eat a diet that consists predominantly of processed foods, an abundance of sugar, and a general lack of fresh fruits and vegetables. Back then, I had no inkling of any such thing as nutrition, and the terms such as vegetarian, plant-based, or vegan had not made their way into the purview of mainstream conversation, nor did they hold any such attraction for me. In high school, I had dabbled with with vegetarianism and cutting out soft drinks, but never considered adopting an overall dietary lifestyle for the specific purpose of making my life better. I can recall a thought I had in high school about those types of snack foods that I mentioned earlier. I remember thinking that those foods were for kids, that when I was an adult, I would pursue a more adult diet consisting of a lot of salads, fruits, and nuts, or whatever it is that healthy adults eat. Nowadays, my wife and I do our best to focus on eating a whole foods diet. Rather than counting calories, divvying out portions, or going all out vegan, we strive to limit processed foods and focus on getting our primary nutrition from whole foods where we can derive what they are and where they came from. We look for fresh or organic options whenever they are available. And while we do have our cheat meals and cheat days, most of our diet consists of simple, whole foods. As I nibble off another bite of my sandwich, I feel that this dietary style has worked for me and my family and changed my life for the better. As even now, other than pursuing a fast food option on this trip, I'm able to have fresh foods to help my body better prep for the race. For the next stretch of the trip, as I start closing in on my destination, I continue to peruse the rock and roll albums that I have brought along with me, even getting into some newer artists like the Foo Fighters, Coldplay, and James Bay. My legs are beginning to get restless as I watch the miles steadily tick down on my phone's GPS to exit 11 on Interstate 59. I have been in the car now for over five hours, and I am ready to be on my feet again. I pull off the exit for Trenton, Georgia, and make my way to the Days Inn Hotel. The local Days Inn not only serves as my lodging quarters for the night, but it's also the location where I will attend church services with the local congregation. I first started keeping the seventh-day Sabbath back in late 2015, and have been steadily doing so ever since. After donning my church wardrobe in the front seat of my car, tie, shoe, and sport coat, I slip out of my ride and take in my surroundings. Off in the distance, I see a mountain that juts abruptly out of the ground, creating an imposing wall on the eastern part of the city. I recall the maps I studied of the area before coming to the city, and know that somewhere out there, on the other side of the mountain, is a canyon, whose name makes a lot more sense now that I see the top of the mountain is shrouded in fog and clouds. I'm excited to pay the starting line of the race a visit later today and take a stroll around the state park to see just what it is that I have signed up for. Before that, though, I tighten my tie around my neck, say a prayer of thankfulness for arriving to my destination on time, and enter the hotel meeting hall, where I am greeted by a warm reception of brethren whom I have never met before. One of the things I love very much about being a part of the church is that no matter where I go, in almost every part of the country, there are like-minded people with whom I have an instant connection with because we share the same faith. When I walk into the hall, the brethren are busy setting up the audio-visual equipment for services. I introduce myself to the small group of older women assembled there, and after a few minutes of calm conversation with the brethren about who I was and why I was visiting, we soon discovered that we know some of the same people from different church areas. This brightens my spirits, as it is wonderful to see just how interconnected the church is across the country. We exchange stories of our attendance at the Fall Holy Days, religious festivals, that we recently experienced, and discuss the impact that the coronavirus has played in our respective hometowns. Mostly, though, they are mesmerized by my reason for being in the area. No one can fathom wanting to run 30 miles at one time, let alone, as they would tell me, at the state park, because of how difficult the terrain is. Granted, most of the brethren there are older women, who did not do a lot of running, 
But in the back of my mind, I began taking some mental notes about the terrain. I need to ensure that I respect the environment I am in so that I do not overextend myself during the race. As services begin, I find a seat and I lay up my notepad and Bible on my lap, something I rarely get to do during services nowadays, as my kids are constantly in need of attention during services. The main message of the day is a sermon focusing on the name of God and how many people get caught up in the sacred name movement. Followers of the movement are people who will only refer to God by certain names, and to refer to him in any other way would be sacrilegious to them. The minister does a great job of refuting the movement, providing facts and scriptural support for the names that God does find acceptable. After singing a final hymn to close services, I stick around and fellowship with the brethren for another half hour. I assure them that I would find some way to let them know how I do in the race, and that if I ever visit again, I will have my wife and kids in tow. Upon exiting the meeting room, I check in at the front desk of the hotel to see if my room is ready. The polite attendant assures me that I did, I did indeed have a room, but it would not be ready for a few more hours. That is okay with me. I bid her farewell and exit the cramped lobby. Stepping out into the open, I breathe in the crisp mountain air. The temperature sits comfortably in the low 60s. I gaze out across the valley, towards the mountain range known as the Cumberland Plateau. I feel like Bilbo Baggins staring at the lowly mountain in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. The vertical expanse is calling my name, and like Bilbo, while I am excited to get to my destination, I am also nervous for what lies within that expanse. However, unlike Bilbo, instead of a dragon waiting for me that I need to avoid, there is a 1,000-foot canyon that I need to confront.